Now we come to Sutta number 4.18.180. On a certain occasion, the Exalted One was staying in Boga Nagara at the Ananda Shrine. Then the Exalted One addressed the monks, saying, Monks, yes, Lord, replied those monks to the Exalted One. The Exalted One said, Monks, I will teach you these four great authorities. Do you listen to it? Carefully give your minds to it, and I will speak. The Exalted One said this. And what monks are the four great authorities? In this case, monks, a monk might say, face to face with the Exalted One, Your Reverence, did I hear it? Face to face with Him, did I receive it? This is Dhamma, this is Vinaya, this is the Master's teaching. I just stop here for a moment uh, from uh, just to comment. Uh, this Dhamma Vinaya is the Master's teaching. In the suttas, uh, you'll find uh, that the Buddha always referred to his teachings as Dhamma Vinaya. And here you will uh, get uh, you will get to see what is Dhamma Vinaya. And uh, as I mentioned before, the word Tripitaka or Tipitaka was never mentioned by the Buddha. In the suttas, he always mentioned his teachings as Dhamma Vinaya. Now, the, the Buddha continued. Now, monks, the words of that monk are neither to be welcomed nor scorned. But without welcoming, without scorning, the words and syllables thereof are to be closely scrutinized, laid beside sutta and compared with Vinaya. If, when thus laid beside Sutta and compared with Vinaya, they lie not along with Sutta and agree not with Vinaya, to this conclusion must you come. Surely this is not the word of the Exalted One, Arahan, the fully enlightened one, and it was wrongly taken by that monk. So reject it, monks. Herein again, a monk might say, Face to face with the Exalted One, Your Reverence, did I hear it. Face to face with Him did I receive it. This is Dhamma, this is Vinaya, this is the Master's teaching. Now the words of that monk are neither to be welcomed nor scorned. But if, when laid beside Sutta and compared with Vinaya, they lie along with Sutta and agree with Vinaya, to this conclusion must you come. Surely this is the word of the Exalted One and it was rightly taken by that monk. Then bear this in mind as the first great authority. Then again a monk might say, in such and such a monastery resides a sangha, an order of monks, together with an elder monk, a thera, a leader. Face to face with that sangha, I heard it. Face to face I received it. This is Dhamma, this is Vinaya, this is the Master's teaching. Now the words of that monk are neither to be welcomed nor scorned, but if, when laid beside Sutta and compared with Vinaya, they lie not along with Sutta and agree not with Vinaya, to this conclusion must you come. Surely this is not the word of the Exalted One, and it was wrongly taken by that Sangha of monks. So do you reject it, monks. But, on the other hand, a monk might say, in such and such a monastery, Resides a Sangha of monks together with an elder monk, a leader. Face to face with that order, I heard it. Face to face, I received it. This is Dhamma, this is Vinaya, this is the Master's teaching. Now the words of that monk are neither to be welcomed nor scorned. This is, uh, but 
If when laid beside Sutta and compared with Vinaya, those words lie along with Sutta and agree with Vinaya, to this conclusion must you come. Surely this is the word of the Exalted One. It was rightly taken by that Sangha of monks. This monks is the second great authority to bear in mind. Yet again a monk might say, In such and such a monastery resides a great number of elder monks, widely learned, versed in the doctrines, who know Dhamma by heart, who know Vinaya by heart, who know the summaries by heart. Face to face with those elder monks, I heard it. Face to face did I receive it. This is Dhamma, this is Vinaya, this is the Master's teaching. Now the words of that monk are neither to be welcomed nor scorned, but if when laid beside Sutta and compared with Vinaya, they lie not along with Sutta and agree not with Vinaya, to this conclusion must you come. Surely this is not the word of the exalted one. It was wrongly taken by those elders. So do you reject it, monks. Herein again a monk might say, in such and such a monastery resides a great number of elder monks. Quietly learned, versed in the doctrines, who know Dhamma by heart, who know Vinaya by heart, who know the summaries by heart. Face to face with those elder monks, I heard it. Face to face did I receive it. This is Dhamma, this is Vinaya, this is the Master's teaching. Now the words of that monk are neither to be welcomed nor scorned. Now, but if when laid beside Sutta and compared with Vinaya, they lie along with Sutta and agree with Vinaya, then to this conclusion must you come. Surely this is the word of that exalted one, and it was rightly taken by those elders. This monks is the third great authority. Herein again a monk might say, in such and such a monastery resides a single elder monk of wide learning, versed in the doctrines, who, know, who knows Dhamma by heart, who knows Vinaya by heart, who knows the summaries by heart. Face to face with that elder monk I heard it, face to face did I receive it, this is Dhamma, this is Vinaya, this is the Master's teaching. Now monks, the words of that monk are neither to be welcomed nor scorned, but without welcoming, without scorning them, the words and syllables thereof are to be closely scrutinized, laid beside Sutta and compared with Vinaya. If, when laid beside Sutta and compared with Vinaya, they lie not along with Sutta and agree not with Vinaya, to this conclusion must you come. Surely this is not the word of that exalted one, the Arahan, the fully enlightened one, and it was wrongly taken by that elder monk. So do you reject it, monks. If, if however, a monk should say, in such and such a monastery resides a single elder monk of wide learning, versed in the doctrines, who knows Dhamma by heart, who knows Vinaya by heart, etc. Uh, and then the words of the monk are neither to be welcomed nor scorned, and, but to, they should be uh, laid beside Sutta and compared with Vinaya. Um, and if, when laid beside Sutta and compared with Vinaya, they lie along with Sutta and agree with Vinaya, to this conclusion must you come. Surely this is the word of that exalted one, the Arahant, the fully enlightened one, and it was rightly taken by that elder monk. This monk is the fourth great authority. So these monks are the four great authorities. That's the end of the Sutta. So here the Buddha is saying, suppose a monk says, he quotes four different uh, cases. The first one is he says he such and such is the teaching of the Buddha. And he says, the first one, he says he heard it from the Buddha himself. If that is so, then you must compare it with the suttas huh? uh, and the Vinaya. And then the second case is 
uh, if, if such uh, if, if the monk says uh, that he heard it from um, from a sangha of monks with an elder monk Atera, and the whole sangha says that this is the Buddha's teaching, such and such is the Buddha's teaching, then it is to be compared with Dhamma and Vinaya. And then the third one is, if in a, a monk says that in a monastery there are a great number of Theras, elder monks, widely learned, and they say that such and such is the Buddha's teachings, again, uh, it must be compared with Sutta and Vinaya. In, and the fourth one is, uh, the monk says that in a monastery there is a single elder monk who is widely learned and uh, and he claims and such and such is the Buddha's teachings. Then uh, without welcoming or scorning what he says, his words are to, com- to be compared uh, with the Sutta and Vinaya. And after comparing with Sutta and Vinaya, then only you can come to the conclusion whether it is the Buddha's teachings or not. So here in this sutta, you find uh, it's very clearly stated that Dhamma means the suttas because when he claims this is Dhamma, it must be compared with the suttas. And uh, there is no mention of the uh, Abhidhamma as we know it today uh, in the original uh, suttas of the Buddha. Uh, even though there are certain monks who claim uh, that the Dhamma includes the Abhidhamma in this Sutta, it is very clear that uh, uh, Dhamma always refers to the Suttas and Vinaya refers to the few books of the Vinaya Tipitaka which concerns monks. Uh. The word Tipitaka or Tripitaka was never mentioned in the Suttas uh, and it is a later uh, a word that came later. I read to you the footnote here by the uh, uh, Polytech Society. Yeah? The footnote here says that there were evidently only two collections, Pitakas, but Abhidhamma is obviously a much later collection. Had there been any Pitakas at the time of the composition of this Sutta, the word would surely have been used in it. Uh, so you see the word pitaka is never mentioned in the suttas as we know it today. Uh, and the word tripitaka also never mentioned. And the other thing um, we should know is in the second Sangha council, which was held about 100 years after the Parinibbana of the Buddha, there were certain monks uh, who claimed that they follow such and such a teaching because it was handed down to them from their teachers. And uh, so it was decided uh, at the second Sangha council that if a certain monk uh, uh, gets a teaching from his teacher, then uh, he should compare what his teacher teaches uh, with the suttas and the vinaya. And if it does not agree with the suttas and the vinaya, then we should not follow the words of that teacher monk. Uh, because our original teacher is the Buddha. That's why we take refuge in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. Uh, so it is very clear here, even nowadays, whatever whatever uh, senior monks teach, even if they are very well-known, very respectable monks, uh, whatever they teach uh, should be not taken 
on their word, but compared with the suttas and the vinaya. That is why the foundation in the suttas is very, very important. Nowadays, there is such a um, such a lot of uh, writings uh, on the uh, Buddha's teachings, and so many different interpretations. Uh, that is very dangerous uh, to put your faith uh, in a teacher. It is better to put our faith in the original suttas of the Buddha. Now you come to a sutta 4.19.183. On a certain occasion, the exalted one was staying near Rajagaha in bamboo grove at the squirrel's feeding ground. Then the Brahmin Vasakara, a great official of Magadha, came to visit the exalted one. On coming to him, he greeted him courteously and sat down at one side. So seated, the Brahmin Vasakara, a great official of Magadha, said this to the Exalted One. For my part, Master Gotama, I say this, I hold this view. If a man speaks of what he has seen, there is no harm in his saying, Thus I saw. If a man speaks of what he has heard, there is no harm in his saying, Thus I heard. If a man speaks of what he has sensed, of what he has understood, saying, Thus I sensed, thus I understood. There is no harm resulting from that. And the Buddha said, I, for my part, Brahmin, do not say that all that one has seen should be spoken of. Yet do I not say, Brahmin, that all that one has seen should not be spoken of. And I say the same of what is heard, sensed, and understood. Now all that one has heard, sensed, or understood should be spoken of or not spoken of. Not all that one has seen, sensed, or understood should be spoken of or not spoken of. Now, Brahmin, in so far as to him who speaks what he has seen, unprofitable states wax and profitable states wane. I say that such a thing, if seen, should not be spoken of. In so far as to him who speaks what he has heard, sensed, and understood, unprofitable states wax and profitable states wane. I say that such a thing heard, sensed, and understood should not be spoken of. But in the case where unprofitable states wane and profitable states wax, in one who speaks thereof, I say that such things should be spoken of. Thereupon the Brahmin Vasakara, the great official of Magadha, welcomed what was said by the exalted one, and returning thanks, he rose from his seat and went away. Uh, this sutta tells us uh, a very good uh, criterion, a very good standard that we should follow regarding uh, what should be spoken of and what should not be spoken of. Uh, here, uh, it's very clear that uh, if we speak and then uh, un uh, profitable states uh, decrease uh, and unprofitable states increase, uh, uh, we should not speak. But in the case where profitable states increase and unprofitable states decrease, uh, then we can speak. So this is a very good criterion. Uh, there is a sutta where the Buddha said, before either we, we do a deed, a karma, through our body, speech, or mind, uh, before we do it, uh, we should think carefully whether it is uh, 
we should do it or not. If we do it and it harms us or harms others, we should not do it. But if we do it and it profits us or profits others, then we should do it. That is before the action. And then even while doing the action, if we remember, we should consider again whether what we are doing at that moment is correct or not correct, whether it's beneficial or harmful. And then we should... uh either stop doing it or continue to do it. Then the third case is even after we have done an action, then we should reflect back and see that whatever action we did was profitable to others or to the self or harmful to others or to the self. And if we find that it is harmful, we should decide not to do it again. If we find that it is beneficial, then we should decide to do it again and again. Now, what are unprofitable states? Unprofitable states are states of greed, hatred, delusion, jealousy, conceit, restlessness, sloth and torpor, doubt, etc. All these are unbeneficial states. So if they decrease, we should be careful uh, not to uh, do it or speak, etc. And profitable states are the opposite states of renunciation, loving kindness, wisdom, humility, meekness, tranquility, diligence, etc. Uh, so if such states, profitable states increase, uh, then we should speak. Uh, this is concerning speaking, but uh, there are other things. Uh, the six sense doors, we should be very careful. For example, reading. We read sometimes, that means if you are really concerned about the spiritual path, uh, if we read and then we put a lot of information in our mind, uh, it tends to come up, you know, come up as memory, and then uh, we tend to think about it. For example, reading newspapers. Reading newspapers is not very good for somebody who wants to cultivate his mind, because it put in a lot of trash in, into the into the mind. And the other thing is watching TV and video shows and all that. Now all these things uh, come up, come up. So if we want to cultivate the mind, now uh, we don't uh, do these unnecessary things. Uh, this is uh, idle things. Uh. Now we come to another sutta, 4.19.184. Now the Brahmin Janusoni came to visit the Exalted One, and on coming to him, greeted him courteously, sat down at one side. So seated, the Brahmin Janusoni said this to the Exalted One, For my part, Master Gotama, I say this, I hold this view. There is no one subject to death who does not fear and fall trembling at the thought of death. And the Buddha said, Well, Brahmin, there is such a one. But there is also one subject to death who does not fear, who does not fall a trembling at the thought of death. And of what sort is that one who, being subject to death, fears and falls a trembling at the thought of death? In this case, Brahmin, a certain one is not freed from passions, not freed from lusts, not freed from desire, affection, from thirst and fever, not freed from craving. Then a grievous sickness afflicts such a one. Thus afflicted by grievous sickness, it occurs to him, Alas, the passions that I love will leave me, or I shall leave the passions that I love. Thereupon he grieves and wails, laments and beats the breast, and falls into utter bewilderment. This one Brahmin, being subject to death, is afraid. He falls a-trembling at the thought of death. Again, Brahmin, here a certain one who, as regards body, is not freed from lusts, 
desire, affection, thirst and fever is not freed from craving. Then the grievous sickness afflicts him. Thus afflicted it occurs to him, Alas, the body that I love will leave me, or I shall leave the body that I love. Thereupon he grieves, wails and falls into utter bewilderment. This one, Brahmin, being subject to death, is afraid. He falls a trembling at the thought of death. Yet again, Brahmin, here a certain one has done no good deed, has done no profitable deed, has given no shelter to the timid. He has done evil, cruel, wrongful deeds. Then a grievous sickness afflicts such a one. Thus afflicted by grievous sickness, it occurs to him, Alas, I have done no good deed, I have done no profitable deed, I have given no shelter to the timid, I have done evil, cruel, wrongful deeds. To the doom of those who do such deeds hereafter I am going. Thereupon he grieves, wails, and falls into utter bewilderment. This one, Brahmin, being subject to death, is afraid. He falls a trembling at the thought of death. Yet again, Brahmin, here a certain one is doubtful, full of perplexity, has come to no conclusion as to true Dhamma. He grieves and wails, laments and beats the breast and falls into utter bewilderment. This one also, being subject to death, is afraid. He falls a trembling at the thought of death. Thus these four, being subject to death, are afraid. And of what sort, Brahmin, is he who, subject to death, is not afraid, does not fall trembling at the thought of death, then the opposites, huh? the vice versa. So this sutta is about the person huh, who uh, is very frightened huh, when death comes. Huh? The first one is he's still very attached to the passions huh? and a lot of desire, a lot of loves uh, so that uh, he cannot bear to part from his passions. The second one is is attached to the body and so uh, when he, the body is about to die he can't stand it. And the third one has done no good deeds. Uh, this one is very common. A lot of people, they don't have uh, enough good deeds. Uh, they have no confidence when they are about to go. Whereas people who have done a lot of good deeds, uh, they are very happy at the last moment. Uh, they are confident. And the fourth one is, is doubtful. That person uh, does not know Dhamma. So he does not know how he came to the world. He does not know where he's going. And he's, he's afraid. Uh, some people, when death comes, uh, they're afraid to close their eyes. Uh, because when they close their eyes, they start to see visions. So they are very scared. Uh, so these are the four types of person. Uh, so um, the opposite are those who are not... Uh, not afraid. Now, uh, I've read uh, another sutta earlier where the Buddha said that uh, most people, uh, after they pass away, uh, will fall into the woeful plains of rebirth. According to the suttas, uh, most people, when we pass away, uh, most people will fall into the woeful plains. And um, few uh, will come back to the human realm or to go go to the heavenly realm. So because uh, most people go into the three woeful planes of the hell realm, animal and ghost realm, uh, when death comes, uh, they can see their place of rebirth. Uh, 
you can if you have experience looking at people uh, who are about to pass away and uh, they can tell at the last moment where they are going to be reborn so they can be some of them will scream at the last moments you know some of them sometimes they behave like an animal and go on all fours and they refuse to wear any clothes they just tear off their clothes uh, so these are the the people uh, who will be very afraid uh, when death comes which means that most people So there is also a sutta where the Buddha said uh, that we should be prepared because the the deva messengers have come to tell us to give us warning. Who are the deva messengers? When you see a person who is grievously sick, uh, you should remember that is a deva messenger to us. That one day we will also be grievously sick. The second deva messenger is. Uh, You see somebody is old. When you see somebody is old and uh, very near death, uh, with uh, all hair white or no hair, sparse hair, and walking, uh, shaking, uh, hunchbacked, and all that, uh, that is the sign to us uh, that one day we'll also be like that. And then the third one is uh, a, a dead corpse. When we see a corpse, uh, that is a uh, Messenger to tell us uh, that one day our body also will be a corpse, and it won't be very long. Just a few more years' time, because our average lifespan is only seventy years. So these are the deva messengers uh, that we should uh, uh, and we should uh, receive. Uh, be heedful of the message that they are passing to us. The Buddha said, "Our body is like a cancer." All of us have cancer. Sometimes we forget, you know. Sometimes somebody. Uh, Somebody uh, with cancer, uh, they can be very alarmed. Uh, they 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 think uh, that they are the only one who's got cancer. I have somebody as who got cancer. I have gone to see that person, and he tells me I've got cancer. Like uh, you know, expecting me whether what 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 should he do? But he forgets that all of us have cancer, in the sense that we don't know when we are going to die. Uh, Say, for example, a person a person has cancer. He thinks he's got maybe another a few months to live. But then, uh, even for the rest of us, uh, we have a few years to live. Huh? That's not very much more. Uh, we all have to face the prospect of death. So when we listen to the suttas, we understand that's the way the world is. That's the way the way things are. So we accept it. We accept death. And then, when death comes, huh, we are no more afraid. So the Buddha said we should always reflect on death, uh, marana sati, the reflection of death. Uh, we should always practice. Uh. Now the next sutta is four point nineteen point one eight five. On a certain occasion, the exalted one was staying near Rajagaha on Vulture's Peak Hill. Now at that time, a great number of notable wanderers were abiding on the bank of Snake River in the wanderers' park, namely. Anyabara, Varadara, Sakula Dain, and other notable wanderers. Now, in the evening, the exalted one, arising from his solitary meditation, went towards the bank of Snake River, where was the wanderers park. On that occasion, among those wanderers holding other views, as they sat gathered together, this subject of talk chanced to arise. Such and such. Are the Brahmana truths or holy truths? Such and such are the Brahmana truths, the holy truths. I just uh, st- stop here for a while to explain this br- word Brahmana. This word Brahmana is was originally used for one of the four castes in India. 
they had the Brahmana caste, the priest caste, then they had the warrior caste, which is the Katya caste, then they had the merchant class, caste, and then they had the uh, laborers caste, the lowest. La. So this word Brahmana originally was used to, to mean the priests, uh, the renunciants. But later, these uh, Brahmanas, uh, these priests, uh, they became corrupted and uh, they even uh, married, they had wives, they had property, they worked as a spiritual advisor to the kings and uh, because of that, uh, they did not later, uh, They very few of them cultivated the holy path. Uh. So from there, when we refer to the their caste uh, later, uh, we call them the Brahmin caste. Brahmin caste. So the word Brahmana is used more for the the meaning of holy, holy. So the the word Brahmana can can refer to a holy man and arahan. It can also refer to the Brahmin caste. So you have to be careful. So in this case, uh, when you say the Brahmana truths, it means the holy truths. Now to continue. Now when the exalted one reached those wanderers, on coming to them, he sat down on a seat made ready. When he had sat down, the exalted one said this to those wanderers, Pray, wanderers, on what subject of talk were you engaged just now as you sat here, as you sit here gathered together? What was the subject of talk you have just now broken off? As to that, Master Gotama, as we sat here gathered together, the subject of talk that chanced to arise was this, such and such are the Brahmana truths, such and such are the Brahmana truths. Well, wondrous, these four Brahmana truths or holy truths have been set forth by myself after fully comprehending and realizing them for myself. What for? In this case, wondrous, the Brahmana says thus, all living things are not to be harmed. So saying, a Brahmana speaks truth, not falsehood. Therein he has no conceit of recluse or Brahmin. He has no conceit of better than I, equal am I, inferior am I. Moreover, by fully comprehending the truth contained in that saying, he is bent on the practice of mercy and compassion for all living things. Again, wondrous, the Brahmana says thus, all sense delights are impermanent, painful, of a nature to change. So saying, the Brahmana speaks truth, not falsehood. Therein he has no conceit of recluse or, Brahm or Brahmin, or better am I, or equal am I, or inferior am I. Moreover, by fully comprehending the truth contained in that saying, he is bent on the practice of distaste for sense delights, for, passionless, for passionlessness, for making an end thereof. Again, wondrous, the Brahmana says thus, All existences or becomings are impermanent, painful, of a nature to change. So saying, the Brahmana speaks truth, not falsehood. Therein he has no conceit of recluse, etc., etc. Moreover, by fully comprehending the truth contained in that saying, he is bent on the practice of distaste for existences, for passionlessness, for making an end thereof. Yet again, the wondrous, Again, wondrous, the Brahmana says thus, I have no part in anything anywhere, and herein for me there is no attachment to anything. So saying, the Brahmana speaks truth, not falsehood. Therein he has no conceit of recluse or Brahmin, or better am I, or equal am I, or inferior am I. 
Moreover, by fully comprehending the truth contained in that saying, he is bent on the practice of having nothing at all. So these wondrous are the four Brahmana truths put forth by myself after fully comprehending and realizing them myself. And that's the end of the sutta. So in this sutta, you can see, yeah, during the time of the Buddha, there were a lot of external ascetics, like these wondrous paribhajakas, they are called. And uh, this sutta shows uh, that the Buddha was friendly with them. He associated with them. He did not cut them off. He did not look down on them. And because the Buddha was had a lot of metta, he approached them and made friends with them. So that gave him the opportunity uh, to teach them. And sometimes they accepted his teachings and converted to Buddhism. Sometimes they accepted it, but they refused to convert. And sometimes some of them did not uh, accept it, and some even tried to debate with him to challenge him. So you find uh, that uh, in this case, the Buddha taught them the four holy truths, but they are not the four Aryan truths. Uh, not the not the uh, four Aryan truths, because uh, some of these external ascetics, they have their own opinion, their own views. So it's not easy to change them. So out of these four truths that the Buddha mentioned, uh, two of them uh, actually are part of the external sect teachings. Like the first one, all living things are not to be harmed. Uh, this is a very common uh, um, view uh, of uh, holy men, uh, of uh, all the religions uh, and, uh, in India at that time. Uh, and like the Jain sect, they are quite uh, fanatical about not harming a- any living beings uh, so that they are pure vegetarians to the extent uh, of not taking milk uh, and not even taking uh, fresh vegetables and fruits. You know, They think that fresh vegetables also contain life and they only take uh, 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 brown vegetables. Uh, so, uh, so the Buddha... Uh, mention uh, this first one uh, to sort of uh, get there that uh, something that is very acceptable to them. Uh. Then the fourth one also, that I have no part in anything anywhere, and herein for me there is no attachment to anything. And it's because of this uh, that some of them, uh, they don't wear any clothes, they don't they, uh, they go around naked, uh, they say they have no attachment to anything, or everything uh, they, they have uh, um, uh, put down, including all the clothes. Of course, this is uh, not something uh, very practical, uh, so the Buddha did not uh, practice this. uh, But uh, this idea that they they are not attached to anything uh, is something that is acceptable. uh, So the Buddha also mentioned this. Then the other two uh, are basically uh, the Buddha's teachings uh, that all sense delights are impermanent, painful of a nature to change, and all existences are impermanent, painful of a nature to change. uh, uh. 